Don't sit down. We'll go ahead and read our scripture. That way you don't have to get up again. Amen? Some of you appreciate that. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, right? Let's go ahead and turn to this morning to Acts chapter number 26. The book of Acts chapter number 26. And uh, just in a moment after I read the scripture, I'll explain to you why Cecil started losing his voice during that song. Uh, and it don't have anything to do with Rhonda this morning. Amen? <laughs> I love you, Rhonda. You know that. Acts chapter 26, verse number 22. We're going to read just a few verses this morning. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says this. He says, Having therefore obtained the help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Jesus should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not thou only, but also all those that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity one more time to be in your house. And God, I pray that we would never take this opportunity for granted. And Lord, if we do, I just pray that you would forgive us of that. And Lord, as we open your word, God, we know that your word is blessed. Lord, that your, your word is anointed and it is inspired. And God, you're all over this book this morning. God, I just pray that you would use me as your vessel. God, help me to preach your word, God, in clarity and in truth this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would, Lord, just th th let the people pay attention to what you say. And God, what your word has to say to us. And let us learn from it. But God, not only learn, but apply it to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First thing I pray is that you forgive me this morning. I, I'm a little bit tired. The reason Cecil's losing his voice is because you're tired too. Uh, yesterday, I got Cecil uh, to the church at 5.45 a.m., and we drove to East Tennessee and put a sound system in a church plant over there, and we got home at about 11.30 last night. So I was up from 4.15 to 11.30 last night, yesterday, and at my age, that's not good for you, amen? Y'all can go ahead and laugh. It's okay. Y'all think, think my age, but I get tired too. But So that's why we're a little bit tired. A few of us went. But as we turn our attention this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 26, uh, if, if you're in my Wednesday night class, just a few of you are that are in this, you'll know that we're actually reading through Acts right now, and we're going verse by verse. And, and this, this is a very long story that we read in the book of Acts. Now, how many of you like to read the book of Acts? I like to read the book of Acts. The, the word Acts literally means it's just the shortened word for the word actions. It's what the apostles did. And Acts is actually where the church that we still have today got its start. 
And so it's the actions. It's what took place after that Jesus ascended back to heaven. And so it covers a whole lot of ground. A lot of the books of the Bible are, are just very short in time. You know, the book of Nehemiah, for example, just takes place over just maybe a year or two. And I think about the Gospels, how they took place over Jesus' ministry and just a little bit of his life, just a short span. But the book of Acts can, can last anywhere from maybe maybe six, 30 to 50 to even 60 years, some people believe. And so the Apostle Paul here has been converted in Acts chapter 9, and now we arrive in Acts chapter 26. And, and all these years that he's been preaching the gospel, he's been out sharing the gospel and all these things, and now he's in prison for what will end up being his last time. See, Paul, he was, he was these days what we would call maybe a frequent flyer down at the jail. You know those type of people that, that they're in jail all the time and, and it doesn't surprise you when you hear, well, so-and-so got arrested. Y'all know people like that, don't you? Some of them probably got family like that, don't you? Where, where you see them in the paper and you say, well, that don't surprise me at all. And the Apostle Paul was the same way that, that I would say that every time Paul got arrested, the Roman government might say, this guy again, or the Philippian jail, oh, but he's back. And, and, and the Jews are saying, hey, get him. And it was the Jews having him arrested every single time. And he would get out and he would, as soon as he would get out, he would go back to preaching the word of God. But this time, when we get here to Acts chapter 26, Paul is in prison for what will be the rest of his life. See, what has just happened is two years earlier, and, and the way I talk about Acts and, and how the quickly it passes, at the end of chapter 24, verse 27, it says this. I'm just going to read you the verse real quick. It says, But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So in three short chapters there, we've covered two years. And Paul has been sitting in prison for two years. And you know why he's been sitting in prison? Not because he's committed any crimes, not because he's guilty of anything, but it's because the Roman government just simply wanted to pacify the Jews. That was the end of the story. They just wanted him to hush, be quiet, calm down. We'll leave this guy in jail. If it takes one guy rotten in jail, then we're just going to leave it. And so Paul's sitting here. And finally he catches a break. Maybe, maybe we would say an appeal or whatever it may be that there's a break in the case. And finally after he sat in prison for two years, this man shows up named Felix. And Felix is sent from Rome to rule this area. And we know that they're under the rule of the Roman government. And Felix is, is asking Paul and, and asking, what should I do with this man? And so King Agrippa comes to visit him. Now today we're going to preach about Agrippa. Has anybody ever heard of Agrippa? I've heard of Agrippa all my life. And him, I read his most famous line in the Bible. There's, there's a, a very oft-repeated line right there that he says, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But I want to talk about Agrippa for just a few minutes and, and give you a little background. I asked a guy last night, Zeb was riding back with me. He's out in the hallway making sure we're all safe in here. But I asked him last night, I said, what, what can you tell me? What do you know about Agrippa? And he said, well, I, I don't really know much about him, and, and, and I didn't really either. His name's actually Herod Agrippa, and his great-grandfather, you might have heard of him, was Herod the Great. And if, if you study the Bible very much, that was the man that ordered that all Hebrew boys under two years old be murdered. When did that happen? When Jesus was born, right? You all remember that in Matthew chapter 2? And then his uncle, 
Herod Antipas had John the Baptist beheaded. So these men had a track record of being scoundrels. Y'all know what a scoundrel is, don't you? So are any of y'all scoundrels in here? So Tanner's a scoundrel. Amen, brother. I'm glad you're honest with me. He's, he's confessing this morning. But these guys, just to be honest with you, they were not good people. They were terrible people. They were guys that, that just had people killed just because they felt like it, just because they just didn't like somebody. They would say, you know what, take that guy and just, and just take his head off his shoulders. I'm done with him. And that's what kind of person we're dealing with when we get to, to Agrippa, King Agrippa. And he stands up and he's brought in to the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul is set in front of him. And we know that when Agrippa comes in, and I won't read you all of this and, 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 and go, just bore you with it, but he shows up with his sister, who it's believed he had relations with. This guy was an incestuous murderer and just an all-around terrible guy. Terrible. Don't that sound like a terrible guy to you? I mean, the way I've just described him is, is things that, that Roman history teaches us and, and all these awful, awful, awful things that he did. Now, I'll tell you this, that, that when, I'm, when I'm trying to witness to people, when I'm trying to spread the gospel, you know who I generally like telling the gospel to is, is good people. I mean, just be honest with me. How many of you really like to walk up to somebody that's really bad and ask them if they know Jesus? That's just not fun, is it? Has anybody ever done that? I mean, I've heard about people going to prison. I knew a man that would go to prison, and he would preach in prison, and he would go up to these awful men, these men that were murderers and, and rapists and, and, and thieves and, and all manner, and he would go and he would take the gospel to these people. And you know why he would do that? Because they needed it just like you did. Are y'all with me this morning? Is everybody still awake? I'm the tired one. Remember that, okay? <laughs> but they, that man would go to prison, and, and, he, and he was beat up, and he was, he was just, all manner of evil things were done, and he kept going back and back and back and back. And the Apostle Paul was the same way. I don't know about you, but in some situations, I just, I just don't have a whole lot of willpower to me. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm just quick. I'm one of those guys that I get frustrated easily. Now, I know y'all don't believe that, and it's just hard to say a preacher gets frustrated. But I'm one of those guys when something doesn't go right that a lot of times I'll just be like, you know what, I'm done with it. Anybody do that? And I might have had that attitude. You know, if, if I had been in prison three times already, in prison for my fourth time like the Apostle Paul, by now I would probably be saying, God, why do I have to keep coming back here? Why do I keep getting in these situations? But Paul said this in, in verse 22, I'll read it again. He said, having therefore obtained the help of God... He said, that, that, that by the help of God, I'm here in prison and able to do this. He says, witnessing both to small and great. But he said, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first to rise from the dead and show light unto the people and the Gentiles. 
Paul has just given his conversion experience in the previous verses, verses 12 through 18, and he's, he's told Agrippa how that he was on the road to Damascus and how that God had come down and he had done this great thing to convince the Apostle Paul that he should be saved. And he, he preaches Jesus to this man Agrippa. I don't know about you, but it would be nerve-wracking for me to have to preach Jesus to anybody that, that, that basically hated the idea, especially a government official that could say, hey, just kill him. But Paul had appealed to Caesar. And we read on down, and Agrippa says this. Verse 27, Paul said, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Paul asked him a question, but he said it was a rhetorical question. He said, do you believe the prophets? Yes, King Agrippa, I believe the prophets. King Agrippa was steeped in the Jewish ways, and he in fact might have even practiced Judaism just a little bit. And he believed what Isaiah said in chapter 9, verse 6 about Jesus coming. He believed what the prophet Joel said about the Spirit of God being poured out in the last days. And he believed all of these things. Paul said, I know that you believe these things. And then Agrippa said that the most, the most famous thing that he ever said in the Bible, he doesn't say much, but he does say this in verse 28. He says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now there's two schools of thought on, this, on these words that Agrippa said. The first school of thought is the one that I've always heard about, and that is that the man was under conviction. And that God had pricked his heart and that he had heard the message of Jesus. And he says, you know what? You almost make me want to be like you. And then the other school of thought on this is that he was just smarting off to Paul and saying, you know what? Just hearing that, almost I want to be a Christian. And just, just smarting off to him. But either way, he used this word. He said, you persuade me. Almost you persuade me. And, and that word resonated with me. A lot of times I'll have things in verses that just I think about all week. And I think about persuasion. You know what persuasion is, right? It's somebody trying to convince you to do something. It's somebody basically trying to talk you into something. Some people are easily persuaded, and some people it takes a little bit more persuasion. I'll be honest with you, as a pastor and as a preacher, my job is to persuade people. That's why I'm here. Would you agree with that statement, Cecil? I stand up here and I open the Word of God and I try to give you truths from the Word of God and persuade you to believe in Jesus. Persuade you that sin is wrong and that God is right. Persuade you that you should live in the right fashion. And then I think about all the other things that we're persuaded to. You know who's a good persuader? Just, and it's not one particular, but it's a group of people, or at least they try to be. And y'all are going to laugh when I say this. How many of you have ever dealt with a used car salesman? Anybody ever dealt with a used car salesman? Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't ever go to the new car salesman. I can't afford them things. I go to the used car salesman. And I'll go to them, and those guys will try everything in the world to try to get you to buy their car, won't they? I mean, to the point that it, sometimes it's just tacky what they'll do. 
and what they'll say. And, and, and I don't know about you, but, but just sometimes I can't stand those guys. If anybody in here has ever sold used cars, I am sorry, okay? But I'll just be honest with you. I do not like dealing with used car salesmen, do you? But they will try every single tactic in the world to get you to buy their product. They'll try things like convincing you that your car could break down at any minute. My goodness, I can't believe you're driving that car. You should drive this one over here because, because our mechanic inspected it. And it is, it's a good car. And, and your car might break down, but you know what? We want your car. Don't, don't worry. We'll take it off your hands. Now, we're only going to give you half the value, but we'll take it from you. And, and we're really doing you a favor. You know, you ever heard a used car salesman say that they're doing you a favor? Uh, this is just free this morning, but if a used car salesman tells you they're doing you a favor, they're lying to you, okay? But they're persuaders, and that's their job. That's how they make their living. I mean, they, they got to do it somehow. I wish they would use some other tactics, but that's just what they do. New car salesmen, I've, I've been told, do the same thing. I don't talk to them. Like I said, I don't know. And then I think about all these TV commercials. And if any of you watch TV, and, and if you're like me, I, I like to watch football and, and Tennessee football when they're winning, but, but they're not. So anyways, and, and I like to watch football. And, and, but, you know, and, and today, you have, they try to get you with comedy, don't they? You turn on the TV commercials, and, and they try to tell you funny things, and, and they try to make you laugh. And, and I laugh at all these commercials, these insurance commercials, and, and they're so stupid that they're funny. But yet at the end of the day, you know what they're trying to do? They're just trying to persuade you. And they've got 30 seconds with you. You realize that? That people will go out and spend thousands of dollars on these products that they're selling because somebody was on a screen for 30 seconds and convinced them that they needed it. Am I, am I right or am I wrong? You know why those people can do that so good? Because they practice it. You know, it's not their first rodeo. When they get on TV, they, they, have, an, they have a plan on what they've got to say. They've got to, they, and one of the things about persuasion, and I've already alluded to it talking about car salesmen, is, is the thing about persuasion is you always, always, always have to, to make somebody realize that they have a need. Whatever it is, they've got a need. It may be a car, you need a car. It may, be, it may be you need a new mattress, you know, those, those purple mattresses that they sell. Y'all have seen the commercials where they drop the guy with the eggs on his back, right? Some of y'all have seen those. You need a new mattress because your back is killing you. That's what they say, right? Is your back hurting? Everybody's back's hurting, okay? And that purple mattress is not going to fix it, amen? <laughs> a little, a little, it's funny, but it's the truth. I'm, I'm, I promise this is, this is going to go, go back to this. But they're, they're trying to tell you, hey, this is what you need. Well, you've got asthma. You've got diabetes. You need this medicine. Go ask your doctor about it. I know the side effect list is this long, but this is what you need. And they try to push it and push it and push it. Those used car salesmen, man, they'll get high pressure with you, won't they? If you leave today without this car, we can't offer you this deal again. 
We'll never be able to sell it at this price. This is only for you. Can I tell you this morning that when Paul was preaching to Agrippa, he knew Agrippa had a need. You know what his need was? He, he, he needed to not be sinning, okay? Well, that's fair to say. That, that's the obvious to, to speak of. He needed to, to do a lot of things, but before anything, he simply needed to believe in Jesus. It's that simple. You know, the word persuade, it's not even used in the Bible a whole lot. And actually, two other times that it's used in the New Testament, you know who used it? The Apostle Paul. I believe that he was a master persuader. I believe that he was a man that could tell you, hey, I have been there. I, and he could tell you about his, about his conversion and about his Damascus Road experience. He could tell you about all the things that he's went through and all the things that he would see. And people hung on to his every word. 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be up front with you. I'm, I'm trying to persuade you to be a Christian this morning. Is that too much to say? I don't believe it is. If you're lost, you have a need this morning. My goodness, you, you have a need, and, and, and so many people realize that they have that need. You know, that's the thing about it. It's when Agrippa heard what Paul said, and Paul used that rhetorical question, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe the prophets. I believe that's how he said it. I know you do. And he said, almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And, and, and he might have been this close, and he might have been miles from it. I don't know which train of thought. There's no inflection of his tone in the text, and so we don't know how he said it. But regardless of how he said it, you know what he did about it? Nothing. Nothing. You know, there's, there's, there's not many consequences to the, to the decisions we make about used cars. I mean, your car might break down, but there's a chance, I promise you. They'll tell you there's not a chance, but there's a chance down the road. You don't take this medicine, you'll, you, you're probably going to be all right. You know, the, the, their persuasion, they're just trying to scare you into it. But let me tell you this, that there is no other way than to accept Jesus Christ. It's not going to get better until you accept Him. You can't get better until you accept Him. And I believe, I, I'm, I'm of the, the, the train of thought that he probably was convicted. He probably realized that Paul was right about what he said. And he understood that. And God dealt with his heart. And you know what I've seen is over the years, as, as, a, as a preacher, I've, I've been preaching for eight years, and, and I watch people when I'm preaching. I'm watching you. Just be, be aware of that. I may not look like it, but I'm watching people. And I can, I can almost, now I'm not saying I, this, is, this is just a, an art or anything, but I can almost tell when, when the message is dealing with somebody. Any, any of you, you young preacher guys, you've probably even seen that, is that when, when God is dealing with somebody, it's pretty obvious and you can tell. And a lot of you that are not preachers have seen people that God is dealing with, Right? 
And, and, and it's not just, just a few people. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of people. And there's thousands of people. That, did you know that, that people, despite what the media says and despite what, what is portrayed in the world, there's a lot of people in church this morning across America. It may not be where we want it, but there's still people going to church. Can you say amen for that? I'm glad about that. And, and I'll also tell you that not all those people are saved, that some of them are even lost. And that everywhere across the, not only America, but even across the world, they're preaching. Somebody is standing preaching the gospel. Somewhere, somebody's preaching the gospel. And they may be preaching the same text. They may be on the other side of the Bible. But regardless, as long as they're preaching the gospel and as long as they're preaching Jesus crucified and risen again and coming, they're on the right track. And so many people are hearing the gospel this morning. And that is so wonderful. And now, now that we've gotten into the technology age and the digital age, and, and even we did back in March when this whole thing hit and it forced us to buy a camera, I say praise the Lord for that. You know why? Because people are watching our church services. People are watching other church services, and some of those people, if it's just two or three, are hearing the gospel. What an opportunity that is. I say praise the Lord that the gospel still goes out. It goes out, and, and, and as, a, as a preacher, one of my objectives, objectives when I preach every Sunday is, is I'm going to put the gospel in my sermon. That's just the end of it. I'm going to tell you about Jesus every week. I may, I may go to the Old Testament and preach, a, preach David or preach a story about Samuel or just whoever it is that I've preached here lately. But at the end of the day, I'm pointing towards God and I'm pointing, pointing toward His crucified Son that, that shed His blood. Thousands upon thousands of people hear the gospel. But how many are actually persuaded? A hard question, I hate to ask this in a Sunday morning service, but when's the last time we saw somebody at this church come to the altar and accept Jesus? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude, I'm, I'm just, there, Zeb told me yesterday, he said, you know what I like about you as a pastor? He said, you're real. I said, I don't have time to be anything else. I'm just, I'm just being blunt with you this morning. When's the last time somebody got saved in this church? When's the last time you led somebody to Jesus personally? When's the last time I led somebody to Jesus personally? Is it because they're not hearing the gospel? No, it's, it's not that. And I'm not trying to, to throw off on Christians and be mean to people. That's not my objective this morning. What I'm telling you is that it, it's the ball's in their court and it is their decision. And you know what we're running into? is that people are getting more hard-hearted. And I don't want to say this in the wrong way, and I hope it doesn't come out wrong, but I think that people hear the Bible so much that they just get callous to it. They almost, for lack of a better word, they, they almost build an immunity to hearing the gospel. You know, uh, people come to church a lot that are lost here. And you may be here this morning, and, and I don't know who this message is for. This message is to lost people. I'll tell you who it's to. 
But you, you may be here every single Sunday morning. You may even be here on Wednesday night. You may be here during revivals and, and whenever it is. But you know where that gets you with God? Nowhere. You have to accept Jesus. He said, do you believe? That is the key word. All through the book of Acts, when they were preaching Jesus, they would say, how do we get saved? And they would say, you have to believe. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to believe of His sacrifice, and you have to believe those things. And so many people say, you know what? I, almost, almost, almost. But you know, as as uh, I, I like to talk about my mom, and one thing that she used to tell me is, is uh, I would say something, and I would say, "Well, I almost did it. I almost did this, or I almost did that. Uh, good things, even. You know, I, you were supposed to do this. Well, I almost did." And and she would say these words. She would say, "Well, I almost don't get it. I almost don't get it. I almost won't do it." You know, there's a, there's a cliche, and some of you understand this, and some of you don't. But somebody said one time, you know where almost counts? And horseshoes and hand grenades. That's the two places that almost will get it. If you just get close enough, then, then it'll be okay. But see, with, with God and with accepting Jesus, it's, it's not that you were almost there, and it's not that you thought about it. It is that you went through with it, and you actually accepted Him and believed in Him. That's what gets you to heaven. That is what gets you eternal life. And Agrippa said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul said in verse 29, I would to God that, that not only thou, but also all that, all that are here this day were almost and altogether such as I am. I wish, he said, I wish you could experience what I experience, except for being in prison. He said, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And, and as, a, as a Christian this morning, I would, I would love for lost people to be able to experience what the true blessing of God is. You know, the true blessing of God, it's not, it's not material things, it's not monetary things, it's not God, you know, you don't get saved and God starts writing you checks. I mean, that'd be great, wouldn't it? You get a check in the mail every month, hey, here's your check for being a Christian. I think if it was like that, there'd be more Christians, don't you think so? But see, God's blessings come in different ways. God's blessings come in ways that can't even be explained sometimes. God's blessings just come and, and in your darkest, worst hours, God will bless you. And people don't understand that because they don't have that relationship. Some of them almost do. You know, going to church and, and, and reading your Bible and all that, that, that's almost good enough. But it's not. That won't get you there. And I hope you understand that this morning. If you're lost, no doubt, I have no doubt in my mind that, that if somebody's lost here this morning, that they've almost got saved several times. I've heard stories, uh, people have told me, you know, before I got saved, God dealt with me for years and years and years and years and years. You've heard the, of those people, right? In fact, some of you are here this morning. That God dealt with you since you were a kid or a teenager or, or a middle-aged person and you didn't get it saved till you were old or whatever it was. And for all those years, you almost did it, but you, you finally gave in one day. 
And I hear people say the same thing over and over again. Why did I wait so long? What took me so long? Why didn't I do this earlier? Well, you have the opportunity to do it now. Amen? Paul said, Agrippa, do you believe? He said, I believe the prophets. I I know that you believe the prophets. And he said, and I'm almost persuaded. Brother Cecil, let's, let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for your wonderful word. And God, we thank you that you had a man named Paul that you called to preach. And he himself was a wicked man that had to be persuaded on the road to Damascus. God, you persuaded so many people. And Lord, I just pray that this morning, God, that somebody would be persuaded. Lord, that somebody would realize what their need really is. And that is to accept you as their Savior. Lord, that their need is not material wealth. It's it's not the things of this world. But God, somebody needs to realize and needs to nail it down and accept the fact that they need you. God, I hope that that somebody would realize that this morning and that somebody would, would change their mind from almost being persuaded to being fully persuaded to accepting you as their Savior. God, we trust you that you're still saving. God, we know that you are because you haven't came back for the church yet. And God, your your Holy Spirit is still dealing with people. God, and we thank you for that. Lord, as a Christian, I thank you for the opportunity to still be able to preach the gospel in these uncertain days. God, I just pray that somebody would give in and give up and come and be saved. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.